The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Six for Amani Hooker. What a start for the home Hawkeyes. Eight seconds in, they have the lead. No quarterback in the country had been hotter than Barrett. He's thrown one interception all season until now. First and goal. Play fake. Stanley. They got him wrapped around the leg. Back in the end zone. Caught. Touchdown. It's Hawkinson. It's all going right for the Hawkeyes. Extra point is through. Fourth touchdown pass for Nate Stanley. It's the most points they have ever scored against Ohio State. Got to give credit. This coaching staff has given Iowa a chance to win. They're not playing not to lose. They are playing to win this game. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Scott Docterman, who looks back at the Hawks' stunning and spectacular win over Ohio State and previews this week's Iowa-Wisconsin game. We also have a new hang time with former Hawkeye's punter and place kicker Ron Caluzzi. This week, we talk special teams trickeration. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Wisconsin's Paul Christ. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporter Scott Docterman of LandOf10.com and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Chumeland and Jack Bransgard. Game highlights are courtesy of ESPN with announcers Steve Levy and Brian Greasy. We very much appreciate it and thank them. There was the magic number, the turnovers. 3 nothing, Iowa. Oh, what a play! Make it 4 nothing, Iowa! Josh Jackson has- Trick. Three interceptions. What an athletic interception. This is one of the better interceptions you will see all year in college football. Josh Jackson came into this game leading the country. The pass is broken up, and he goes up high to snatch one. And may have just snatched the life out of Ohio State season. Hawkeyes Mike programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. Iowa travels to Madison to face the Big Ten's last undefeated team this Saturday with kickoff set for 2.30 p.m. The Hawkeyes, 6-3, and 3-3, are trying to reclaim the Heartland Trophy from the Wisconsin Badgers, who are 9-0 and 6-0. Iowa is coming off its stunning and spectacular 55-24 upset win last Saturday over Ohio State, while Wisconsin downed Indiana on the road 45-17. In addition to the Buckeyes, the 
the Hawkeyes have defeated Wyoming, Iowa State, North Texas, Illinois, and Minnesota, while losing to Penn State, Michigan State, and Northwestern. Iowa's three losses have come by one possession each, and two of those came down to the last play of the game. The Hawkeyes' win over Ohio State was the 400th home win in the history of the Iowa football program. Wisconsin's wins have come against Utah State, Florida Atlantic, BYU, Northwestern, Nebraska, Purdue, Maryland, and Illinois, as well as the Hoosiers. Iowa is 20th in the college football playoffs rankings, while the unbeaten Badgers are 8th. The Hawkeyes are 25th in the AP poll. Wisconsin is 6th. Iowa is not ranked in the coaches poll, but the Badgers are 3rd. This series is about as close as it can get. Wisconsin leads the series 45-43-2 after defeating Iowa last season at Kinnick Stadium 17-9. The visiting teams have won the last six meetings. Iowa is 19-26-1 and and all-time in games played in Madison, including the last one, which they won 10-6 in 2015. Kirk Ferentz is in his 19th season as Iowa head coach with a record of 141-95 at Iowa, and he's now just two wins shy of tying Hayden Fry as Iowa's all-time winningest head football coach. Both Ferentz and Fry rank in the top seven in the Big Ten, both in terms of overall wins and conference victories. Ferentz is also currently the dean of college football coaches. Paul Christ is in his third year at Wisconsin with a record of 30 and 6. Overall, he's been a head coach six years with a record of 49 and 25. In game notes, Iowa is looking to win its 10th trophy game out of the last 11 it has played. The only loss in that streak coming at the hands of the Badgers last year at Kinnick. Wisconsin, however, has won 15 of 16 of its last trophy games against Big Ten West rivals Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. The Badgers have played in the Big Ten championship game four of six years, and if they defeat Iowa this Saturday, they will lock down the West Division berth again this season. Wisconsin comes into this game with both a highly ranked defense and offense. Total defense tied second in the Big Ten, fifth nationally. Scoring defense first in the Big Ten, fourth nationally. Rushing defense second in the Big Ten, fourth nationally. Passing defense, fourth in the Big Ten, 18th in the nation. Scoring offense, they're third in the Big Ten, 24th nationally. Rushing offense, first in the Big Ten and 16th nationally. And Wisconsin dominates time of possession with 35 minutes and 28 seconds a game. That's first in the nation, obviously first in the Big Ten. Iowa is fourth in the Big Ten and 16th nationally in scoring defense, and the Hawkeyes have held eight of their nine opponents below their scoring average. Iowa State in overtime is the lone exception. The Iowa-Wisconsin game will be televised by ABC with announcers Joe Tessitore, Todd Blackledge, and Holly Rowe. It will be broadcast, as usual, on the Hawkeye Radio Network with announcers Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks. And it will also be available on satellite radio, XM Channel 195 and Sirius Channel 135. The Heartland Trophy isn't the only trophy at stake this weekend in Madison. In a long-standing tradition, the Iowa and Wisconsin team managers will battle it out Friday evening for the Rusty Toolbox. In terms of the depth chart, Iowa's is unchanged from what it was for Ohio State, and why would you make any changes after that performance? Wisconsin has been plagued by a series of serious injuries to key players. The latest are to starting linebacker Chris Orr and starting and leading wide receiver Quintez Cephas. They joined starting wide receiver Jazz Peavy, among others, listed as 
out for Iowa. In addition, starting safety Dakota Dixon is questionable. Three key questions going into this game was Iowa's play against highly ranked Ohio State the result of team growth and gelling at the right time in the season or a bit of a fluke? There is no doubt that Wisconsin is a very good team, but how good really? As Iowa will be the first ranked team the Badgers have played against. And can Iowa's young offensive line protect quarterback Nate Stanley against the unique and very aggressive defensive schemes run by Wisconsin's defense? In Big Ten notes, Michigan State and Ohio State are now tied for first in the East Division with identical 5-1 and one records, and the Spartans are the only team left in the East that controls its own path to the Big Ten Championship game. Wisconsin continues to lead the West with a 6-0 record. It's just one of five FBS teams remaining with an undefeated record this season. This is the best start for the Badgers since 2004, and they've now won a school record 12 straight Big Ten games. Week 10 results included Michigan Michigan State knocking off Penn State 27-24. That handed the Nittany Lions their second consecutive loss. Northwestern won its third straight overtime game, and that's the first time it's happened in FBS history. They defeated Nebraska 31-24, and of course, Iowa dominated Ohio State 55-24. Games this week, key games in addition to Iowa at Wisconsin include Michigan State at Ohio State, Nebraska at Minnesota, and Northwestern hosts Purdue. I don't I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On first down and 10, taking a shot in the end zone, it is caught! Noah Fant, touchdown! Back-to-back winning plays for Iowa. There's no better time to take a shot than when your opponent is having to deal with adversity. And you get that personal foul penalty, you get 15 yards, you're in the red zone fringe where you love to take a shot. Brian Ferentz dialed up the absolutely perfect play. Hey, there's something going on in Iowa City. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who gives an overview of Wisconsin prior to this weekend's game in Madison. It seems like every time you play them, you're playing a really good football team. That's certainly uh, the truth this year. They're undefeated, uh, well-deserved, and they've got an outstanding, outstanding football team. Playing for our second trophy in three weeks. And, you know, I guess that's interesting. But, you know, really before the trophy uh, came into being in 2004, this has always been a good uh, border state rivalry. And, you know, this one hopefully uh, promises to be the same kind of deal. You know, Wisconsin, just watching on tape, they're what you expect. They're very well coached. Uh, Paul Chris, his staff, do a great, great job up there. Uh, they're a big physical football team. Uh, offensively, they run the ball very well. Uh, are they able to control the ball and kind of set the tempo that they want to? Uh, the quarterbacks played very well for them and uh, clearly is a leader of them, their football team. And then defensively, they, uh, they've got a bunch of guys that grew up in their system. They play their system very well. It's a unique system. And uh, just like they run the football very well on offense, they uh, stop the run defensively and make it really tough for you to gain yards. But more importantly, it's tough to score against them. And that's uh, that's been a challenge for, for us. It's been a challenge for pretty much anybody that plays them. So, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be a big, big challenge for us. And the other thing I'd throw in there, the special teams, you know, they play well in every phase. They're really good after. 
after it and play hard. So, you know, it should be a, should be a big challenge for us. I think for us, uh, obviously, you know, we have to play our best football. Ferentz on his top two tight ends, Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson. Really two different kind of stories. Uh, Noah came in, as you, as you know, we played him last year. Not not excessively, but he played and got his feet wet a little bit. We, we uh, thought he'd be playing a pretty prominent role uh, this year, at least have an opportunity to, and, you know, made a, a really, uh, you know, a couple good plays, but a real big third down conversion in our last game out there in Kinnick last year. So we saw him grow during the course of the year physically and, and uh, just in terms of comfort, what have you, and that's carried over into this season. So, you know, his his uh, work on the field last uh, year, even though it was pretty, uh, wasn't extensive, I think it helped move him forward. Then TJ, on the other hand, was a guy a little bit more raw when he got here. We really liked what we saw of him in recruiting, uh, not only in the football field, the basketball court. And uh, But last year, he was on the scout team and, and uh, caught our eye a bunch over there, too. So I'm making a lot of plays against our defense, frustrating them at times. So, you know, he was progressing in a different different realm and then it's just uh, did a really nice job in spring did a good job in bowl prep last year and throughout camp you know we just saw him keep you know keep moving up so you know it's, it's a little bit different story with both guys but they both have uh, impacted our team in a positive way and certainly made a big impact the other night and you know the one question we had on TJ really first time we saw him was just you know we don't know if he's a physical guy or not uh, he's playing more uh, out of the box if he would as a receiver and playing pretty deep on defense but and a good basketball player but we didn't know if he uh, you know had, had a, a feel for the physical part of it and he certainly brings that aspect out there so you know, I think both those guys are really really doing a nice job. Ferentz on why Wisconsin consistently has really good offensive lines. I think they've got four guys back so these guys are veteran guys now they, they've played a lot but I'll go back to a year ago they played really well uh, with a lot of new faces in there and uh, they're well coached it seems like it's the same story every year they're just really well coached obviously they're they're huge uh, you know I don't know I haven't researched it but I'm guessing they're they're probably bigger than most NFL lines they're, they're a really big group they're physical they're very they know what they do you know they've got a, a system that's uh, in place and been in place there and uh, they know what they do they know what they are and they do it very very well you know and they, and they play with an attitude on top of it they're an aggressive group they're very physical as big as they are they move really well they execute their you know their assignments pretty well and every now and then catch a touchdown pass on top of it so you know I think linemen across the country are jealous that way but it just seems like every year they just uh, come up with a group that really works hard and, and they're very cohesive they play cohesively. Ference on the consistency of what Wisconsin's football programs since Barry Alvarez first became head coach. I think it's really interesting, quite quite frankly, because Barry passed it off to Brett, then Gary Anderson came in, and take it even a step further, you know, when Gary Anderson came in, they changed their defensive philosophy uh, dramatically, and, and it that was seamless, you know, which I was a little skeptical of that, you know, watching from afar. But boy, right from game one, they played it well. They really uh, grabbed onto that system. And then with Paul Chris coming back, uh, which is kind of a return to, you know, the way he worked under, uh, you know, had been there previously. So he, he kind of was in the family, if you will. Uh, but they stayed with the defensive system that they, they ran. And again, it was a seamless transition. So yeah, it's really been impressive. It just seems like uh, whoever's coaching there or whoever's playing there, they, they play a brand that's very similar to what, what Barry brought there back in the early 90s and it's, it's been very, very impressive. Ferentz on quarterback Josh Jackson's development and the great game he had against Ohio State. Yeah, maybe, you know, I mean, the three picks and then, you know, uh, I'm, I was as surprised as anybody last week when I, Wednesday night's my paper night, you know, so I read about, I think it was Wednesday night I read about that, right, that you know, he was on the draft board or whatever. Well, I got to tell you, with all due respect to those draft board guys, it's always interesting you check the draft boards from October to draft time. It's good to throw stuff out there. Uh, luckily, you don't have to get paid for accuracy. But anyway, so, 
so, but yeah, I mean, you know, I mentioned back in August, I, th I thought, you know, he was a guy that really had a chance to, to have a good season. You know, he had had an un unbelievable uh, out of season this summer and, and played well in the spring, played well last year, the last couple of years. You know, you just seen him grow with his role, but you never know where it's going to go and uh, how well a guy will play. And uh, certainly he made three, you know, beautiful plays, but he's made other good plays in the game too. And, uh, you know, so it's a real credit to him, but that that's kind of, you know, he's more the nature of our, I can't remember who we beat in recruiting to get him, but he's come in and just flourished. But it's, you know, it hasn't been all easy. He's really had to work hard and he has worked hard and that's really the key. He's had, he's had good ability, but now he's really learned how to play a little bit and it's, uh, that's a good combination. So hopefully he'll continue to improve. And I asked Kirk about the increased number of deflected and batted down passes by his defensive line this season, whether that's a product of the height of his linemen overall and or a point of emphasis this season. You know, part of it is, but Budget, who's not our tallest guy, uh, you know, we got the law firm in Nelson and Nelson. Those guys could be, you know, probably play for Fran. But, but you know, even Budget, you know, so a lot of times it's just timing. You know, if, if you're rushing a guy and you see the quarterback getting ready to throw and his eyes are your way, get a hand up, you can bat it. And that's that's as good as a, you know, not as good as a sack, but it's it's a pass, pass defended. So that's a good deal. I was kind of flashback to Penn State early 2000s. It seemed like they used to bat down like 10, 10 a game. They had some tall guys there too. So, yeah, it's not a bad deal if, if a guy can time it and get his hands up. Second and goal. Iowa State looking to add some more. Off the play fake. Stanley throwing for it. It's caught. Touchdown. It's Drake Kulik out of the backfield. 28 unanswered points by Iowa. Kulik is a senior, a former walk-on. He graduated in the spring. Gotta believe that's the first touchdown of his career. Next, we hear from Wisconsin head coach Paul Christ, who was asked about his team's focus on Iowa, especially after its 55-24 to beatdown of Ohio State. I think everyone here knows they're going to grab our attention. You know, it didn't all of a sudden become, whoa, I didn't know that was in them. You know, when you saw that that score, and, and you know, guys were talking about that uh, on the in the locker room before they even knew about the score, and then you know, got on the plane and you see what's happening. I think this group knows, you know, when when you get to this week, it's it's a big week, and and I think that just you know gives you that much more. But I don't think it. it we knew it's a really good football team. Chris, on whether there is added pressure on his team since the Badgers are undefeated this late in the season. No, I think that you, you always want it to, you know, I think the, the thing that's underestimated is that the pressure that kids put on themselves to be good each week and to do their best and, and to maximize those opportunities. And certainly there's more and more talk surrounding it, but for the for the players, it, it's the same. And, uh, and I think that's how, you, if you approach it every week that way, then you don't have those, you hope to minimize the, the ups and downs of, you know, just because there's more talk or less talk about something, they're all important. And, and these opportunities are limited, and you want them to maximize them. So I don't think that. Chris, on Iowa sophomore quarterback, Nate Stanley. Well, I think that, you know, he's... Uh, I think he's done a nice job of continuing to grow and develop. I remember watching him when he played, you know, some last year, and uh, you know he's certainly talented. And I think in a in a really good offense, I think they do a good job of using all their personnel. And um, I think that he's he's playing. Looks to me like he's playing with confidence. And um, you know he's a he's tough. I think he's a really good quarterback. Chris, on his own young starting sophomore quarterback, Alex Hornibrook, and whether he's dwelling on his mistakes. No, I think that he's been, 
you know, been a guy that, I mean, yeah, he gets, when that happens, he's frustrated. You know, he doesn't want to do that. But I think that he's done a nice job of bouncing back, being, you know, mentally tough as much as physically. I thought, I thought he showed really good toughness last game in, in both those areas. And, and so, you know, I think that's, you know, just because he's, he does do a good job moving on. It's not to say that it doesn't bother him. And Paul Christ talks about appreciating the continuity in Iowa's football program. You know, I remember when I first, uh, when I was first in San Diego and uh, was going to work out a couple of tight ends there when, when Kirk first went there. And I remember, you know, the program when I was playing was was really good, and then it kind of dipped down. And I think what they've done, it's exactly that consistency, and um, and you appreciate that, and and you know, and yet there's been change with it. You know, I think that they've certainly keep evolving, but there's some of those staples that you know you can expect to see, and and you do see it when you watch the tape, and when you play them. You know, it's a it's certainly been a top level program for a long time, and that's. That's that's not hard. That's not easy to do, and it's it's impressive. Got some pressure around his legs. Able to hit his man for the touchdown. Iowa back on top, and a great view for the Children's Hospital across the way in that end zone. T.J. Hawkinson on the receiving end. Well, they threw the ball to Noah Fant twice already in this game, and Ohio State has to pay attention to him. But they also will use him to disguise and try to get other players open. Look, Reese, I mean, I don't study quarterbacks the way you do, but my eye test, Nate Stanley, he looks the part. He's standing strong in the pocket. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings. Moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Do you want to learn more about kicking and punting? It's hard to find quality training for place kicking and punting, especially with a coach who will give you full attention and who cares about your growth as a person as well as a kicker. That's why Kaluzi Kicking is here. Kaluzi Kicking strives to bring out the very best in every student athlete by utilizing hands-on training, video analysis, and athlete marketing. Kaluzi Kicking is a family-oriented company and believes in working hard to help achieve your goals. The Kaluzi Kicking team will provide you the resources you need to perfect every aspect of the kicking game as you aspire to play at the next level. You can find out more information at kaluzikicking.com. Or you can email us, info at kaluzikicking.com. Time now for our weekly Reporter's Notebook segment this week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles online at landof10.com. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks back at Ohio State and previews this Saturday's Wisconsin game, discussing Iowa's punch list for success at Camp Randall Stadium in Madison. Scott, it's a big game for both teams, Iowa and Wisconsin and Madison this weekend. But before we turn to that contest, let's spend a few minutes because it was so spectacular. Talking a little bit about Iowa's stunning upset of Ohio State last weekend. Not only that they won, but the way they won and putting up 55 points. Something that uh, I don't recall in all three phases such a complete upset a Kirk Ferentz team has had. Yeah, I can't remember it won this complete. I mean, Iowa has won 
won, you know, four of the last five times they faced a, you know, a, an AP top five team at home. The only loss was earlier this year to Penn State on the last play of the game. Otherwise, it'd be a clean sweep. The only one that measures on the field in the similar fashion was against Michigan State in 2010. And Michigan State was undefeated, ranked fifth in the country. Iowa was, I think, 18 and had just lost that game to, to Wisconsin, that really good game, 31-30. And then Iowa just came out and just steamrolled them 37 to 6. That said, this happened to Ohio State. And Ohio State is the kingpin of the Big Ten. This is a team that, you know, Kirk had only beaten once that just generally, you know, it's the flagship program of football. And they came to, to Iowa City and they looked fairly arrogant. And I think there was an arrogance about them that's natural. But in this case, Iowa was ready to fight. And you could tell that there was there was a spirit about them, that they were amped up for this game. And, you know, they had the uniforms, you know, changes and just everything about it felt like, OK, Iowa's going to put up a fight. They may not win, but they're, they're going to make sure that Ohio State knows they've been in a game because really the last three times they've played have, have all been very close competitive games. Um, the last time they played was four years ago in Ohio State. And I think that was one of Iowa's advantages because Ohio State, none of those players played in that 2013 game. They don't understand Iowa. You know, they, you know, back then, I mean, I think that was that was still legends and leaders. That's how long ago it was. So I think when you look at um, Ohio State, they think of Iowa. Oh, West Division team. They're not that good. Fake idea. College football. OK, it's a tough environment, but they probably don't look at Iowa any differently than they would Illinois or Minnesota or somebody like that. Well, they found out really quick that Iowa is not that type of team that Iowa will punch you in the face repeatedly. They weren't prepared for it, just like they weren't really prepared for it in 2013. But Iowa had was able to to make mismatches in places you're really surprised to see. I mean, the tight ends, they couldn't match up with Iowa's tight ends. And, uh, you know, they couldn't do that four years ago either with Jake Doozy and those guys and C.J. Fedorowicz. But they really, Iowa attacked down the field repeatedly. And Ohio State didn't know how to handle it. But I think just as impressive was how the defense was able to make stops, and, you know, and from the very first play of the game. And I, I almost look at it like, <laughs> I used this analogy the other day. This is like a Christmas story when Ralph Ralphie fights Scott Farkas, the bully, and gets him down and he's all bloody. And, and finally, the mom has to pull him off him. And that's kind of what happened on Saturday that Iowa looked at the bully and kicked the poop out of him. And uh, by the end of the game, you got Urban Meyer saying, I don't know more than Kirk said, that's football in a press conference a few years ago. So I thought it was magnificent. I thought it was important. I thought it was important for Iowa, but it was also important for the Big Ten because there's so much scrutiny about East versus West. And you know what? Iowa's not a team that's just gonna you just take lightly you know they may not win some of these games but they're gonna they're gonna fist fight you and ohio state was not prepared for that and especially in a four-quarter game a couple of other things that stand out and there's a slew of them that stand out (laughs) when you think back on that game but you know you referenced it a moment ago that little did we know that the tone was set when amani hooker had the pick six on the first offensive play of the game and then i think we talked about it off and on during the season you kept waiting for the offense to click and to put the bunch of points on the board and and some of us kept predicting that in our in our game predictions on Thursdays and it didn't happen and then last Saturday it happened it was the the performance that Nate Stanley had from beginning to end sometimes with people draped around him or you know wrapped around his knees and his ankles and passes that were pinpoint that were were just missing in some of the earlier games and then of course you had that 
the most bizarre fake field goal I've ever seen, any kind of a fake special teams play, that polecat thing, where Rastetter completed his second pass of the season to a long snapper of all people. I know. I mean, the list goes on and on. This one will be relived. I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, Gary Dolphin's getting his notes ready for the iClub circuit in the spring. You know, this is going to be something that's going to be relived forever, practically. But, you know, I mean, where do you begin? You know, you begin with all of it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the polecat was such an interesting play. That's like one of those flag football plays that kids do in sixth grade, you know, and but man, it worked and it was uh, it was just so cool to see. And then, you know, and Nate Stanley is, is growing up and I've I've really liked him all along i've been singing his praises when other people are saying he needs to be replaced and i'm going he's got 15 touchdowns and two interceptions now it's like 22 and four you know and it's like come on you know this guy's good <laughs> i mean you know just wait you know it's gonna happen and and that's what it did and it really showed you i think you saw iowa and you went oh boy this team is gonna be right there in the race the next couple of years because you start looking at okay you know four out of the five touchdown passes went to uh uh, you know, freshman or sophomore tight ends who are starting and are playing impressively. You look at on defense how you know young they are just about every spot except for linebacker and and even you know the offensive tackles had their best game by far and away and they're freshmen. So you look at all of that and you think, wow, that's uh, this team's going to be around for a little while. And then and I think you know just getting five touchdowns and no interceptions. And you know I don't care what the Big Ten says, he's the Big Ten offensive player of the week in my book. And uh, you know and Josh Jackson three interceptions including one where you know he, he looked like Odell Beckham Jr. you know reached back one armed and you know and I thought okay he's uh, you know we'll see him in the first round next spring you know even though he's only a junior <laughs> but it was such a thorough whipping and again it was uh, it, it was I think it was really important I think the Big Ten really needed it not that I was not because Ohio State's getting knocked out of the playoff but just they need to show there's some balance between the divisions and and uh, what better way than to have you know a team from the west beat the flagship program by 31 points on the road or at least in iowa city it's it was pretty impressive and thorough okay let's turn now to iowa at wisconsin ohio state came in here last weekend in the sense that iowa was kind of the lunch meat between the two slices of bread penn state and michigan state for the buckeyes it's not really a similar situation for the hawkeyes because they of course are coming off the huge win over ohio state and the euphoria that went with it they seemed pretty grounded Tuesday in the media availability. They were certainly saying the right things. But Iowa travels to Wisconsin this weekend, then comes back and plays Purdue. So maybe that would have been more apt if it was Nebraska that they had next week. But you're looking at the only undefeated team left in the Big Ten. Wisconsin's 9-0 and and 6-0. and But they're sort of the Rodney Dangerfield of undefeated teams, not unlike Iowa was a couple of seasons ago. So your overview, and then let's talk the punch list for Iowa's offense to succeed against an incredibly good Wisconsin defense. You know, you look at Wisconsin and and they've been the victim of bad luck and a little bit like Iowa a couple years ago, but I think much worse than what Iowa experienced. Because when we think back at Iowa two years ago, by this point in the season, they'd already beaten Wisconsin, which finished with 10 wins. Uh, they'd beaten Northwestern, which finished with 10 wins. They beat Pitt, you know, who missed out by on uh, winning its division in the ACC by a touchdown. So, 
they had some quality victories at this point in the season that justified them being ranked so high. Wisconsin hasn't, and a lot of that could be look the team to the West. You know, Nebraska has not lived up to anything to what the Big Ten wanted from it, and it, it continuously hurts these programs that it that it loses to. So. I, you know, but that said, you got to look beyond you know the teams that they're beating, and you you actually have to watch them play and look at the statistics and how they are dominating, and they clearly are. They're clearly better than everybody they've played. You know, they've gotten behind a little bit, but you know what, teams sometimes ha- that happens. But what I've been impressed with is the way they've dominated. You know, line of scrimmage, uh, the way they've dominated things like uh, you know time of possession. You know, they're leading the country in that category. Uh, they have the best pure, you know, the best running back statistically in the Big Ten, and you could make the case that he's as good as uh, as a runner as Saquon Barkley. Although Barkley's really good too, but you know, <laughs> so it's uh, but Jonathan Taylor for a freshman, I'm looking at Herschel Walker is who I'm thinking right now. They are are very solid. Now, how would they be if they had Iowa schedule? I mean, this is the unbalanced part of the Big Ten schedule that is they. they that's really hurting some teams. I mean, you know, they play Iowa, uh, Michigan, and then the Big Ten championship game in a few weeks. That'll be, uh, you know, that if they win out, I think they should be in, and they will be in the the, the fourteen playoff. But if they, uh, but they haven't played really anybody. You know, their bad luck stretches from BYU. You know, they're what two and eight or something like that right now. That's a, a team you expect to go on the road, and they're at least going to be in a bowl game. You know, let alone this bad. So they've had some bad luck, but I think we'll see what the Badgers are. Made of starting this Saturday for sure, and then throughout the rest of the season, because even they, they close against Minnesota, and you know Minnesota's not going to roll over for them. So when you look at Iowa's offense here, you know what do you take away from last week? Was that really the offense finally clicking? Was that some super high they were on? Does Nate Stanley? Let's just start with Nate Stanley over those 22 touchdown passes against only four picks. He's averaging 214 plus yards a game throwing the ball. Is that the kind of Nate Stanley we can expect to see against Wisconsin? because Wisconsin's best linebacker is out. You would think that they would be looking at how Iowa isolated its tight ends on Ohio State's linebackers last week and, you know, trying to make some adjustments for that. But how do you see Stanley matching up against that defense? I think he will find a few more openings than you, than you would usual because they are really kind of depleted at, at linebacker. You know, they lost two of their best ones, obviously, to the NFL draft. And Jack Sitchie was out in the, you know, lost the, for the season. Then Chris Orr is now out. You know, so they, they've got great athletes on the outside. And also, you know, you have a strong safety in Dakota Dixon, who's been injured and he's, he's still slated to play, but you'd wonder how healthy is he going to be and how good is he going to be to match up with, say, a Noah Fant? So I kind of wonder, you know, I think Iowa's got an advantage there. But my biggest question, and, and you know, this is going to be, to me, what decides the game, pure and simple, is how do Iowa's freshman tackles handle the odd blitzing or odd pass rush situations that, that Wisconsin puts people in? I mean, they have, what, 31 sacks this year. They are as unconventional as it gets. They have full freedom to, to go out of whatever gap they want to it's you know the the defensive ends are just kind of take up space 
space and the outside linebackers and inside linebackers run wherever they want to and will they be able to pick up those those blitzes because it's such a it, it is a real challenge and, it, and you know everybody who used to play Wisconsin I talked to George Kittle about it in the spring and he was pretty emphatic that look you know this is so untraditional I mean, you expect like a D end or an outside linebacker to have contain in the run game and they don't you know they they come from all angles you just don't know where they're coming from so I think that's probably going to be the biggest chess match of all can those inexperienced but talented tackles can they handle it will they be able to not whiff on some uh, blocks because if he has time Nate Stanley will find anybody he's got it he's got a big league arm I mean he is legitimately in my opinion he is going to be the next first round draft pick in uh, the Big Ten the first since Kerry Collins because he's 6'5 he's two he'll be 240 by then a rocket arm great mechanics and a personality that is conducive for the NFL and and brains to go along with it Uh, but that said, you know, Wisconsin, this is like going against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense and they're going to be coming from all angles. And so if his offensive line could pick those guys up, he'll beat them. He'll beat them deep. He'll beat them with the tight ends because I don't know that they could cover them. But if not that, you know, you might be seeing, you know, uh, the scoring going back to, you know, Iowa Northwestern or Iowa and Michigan state levels. To your point on their sacks, they have Three people who have five or more sacks, three defenders. A defensive end, Alec James, has five, five and a half. There, and then the other sack leaders are, are two of their linebackers, as you indicated. Uh, Garrett Dooley with six and a half, and Andrew Van Genkel with uh, five. Yeah, and he's a, he's, you know, I was going to say, he's a guy Iowa really wanted, and he committed to Wisconsin. They come at you that way, and yet I think... You know, sitting back again, I hate to keep going back to what we saw in the Ohio State game, but it is kind of fun. I thought maybe that was the single biggest surprise to me, apart from the score, was how well Iowa's offensive line played against a terrific defensive line and terrific defensive ends for Ohio State. That that was certainly the most complete game Iowa's offensive line has played, and it was against a quality opponent. So you would think at least that gives Iowa fans some hope about how the offensive line might play against Wisconsin other than the fact that they play those odd schemes the different yeah I think the, the scheme is what makes it different now and that's what makes it challenging for Iowa is that you're looking at a team now that has you know no Ohio, Ohio State went kind of straight up they went four three they didn't blitz a lot they were more traditional they were almost like Iowa's defense uh, very talented of course you know they had had players that are going to be at, at the next level you know very quickly but you know I think the one difference in the, that you see out of Ohio State and uh, you know in Wisconsin is uh, the, the scheme the scheme is so different you know I mean you're talking you know Wisconsin's a three four but sometimes it's like a two five you know they may only have two guys in uh, down you know sitting at a you know in a three-point stance you know the rest of the people are standing up kind of like Iowa's version of the uh, uh, you know of the Raider package but th- there's more orchestra with this so I think that's what's going to be the challenge. Now, I'm not saying they can't do it by any means, but what I'm saying is this is this is going to test them mentally, and it always does. And I, and I talked to I think it was Cole Croston in the spring, and he said, "Look, you've got to study for this team a lot more than you do anybody else, simply because they throw so many things at you. They're so athletic, and he touted, and as we could all expect, their intensity is at such a high level that it's that you have to match it. And 
uh, so in other words, when you when you say phrases like that, you know you're battling a team that, that plays as hard as you do. So that's something that they have to be prepared for. Let's talk a little bit about the rushing for the Hawkeyes. It got back on track pretty significantly last weekend, and we saw the, the effectiveness that, as some people have coined it, Butwad, the combination of Wadley and Butler, had <laughs> in that game against uh, Ohio State. But yet Wisconsin comes in second in the Big Ten, only yielding 87.8 yards rushing per game. So what do you expect in that regard? I think you've got to look at what happened last year and how can Iowa be less predictable? And already that's easy, that's an easy answer. Well, Brian Ferentz is nowhere near as predictable as Greg Davis. Greg Davis fake, gave up on the run really early last year and went to pass almost on every single play in the second half. And they only scored nine points. So I think what you look at with this is Iowa run when they least expect it. So when you're in a three wide receiver set on second nine run you know but when you're on first and ten throw it that's how you kind of keep them off balance because if they have an idea of what you're going to do if you're going to run outside zone on first and ten to the right they will swarm you and and again they're they're physical they're intense but they're quick and that's what's kind of the anecdote for this offense in some ways is that they slip blocks better than anybody else they go they cut you know between the the, the zone block so then they get to the ball carrier so quickly now you know how do you do that well sometimes you have to do misdirection you got to make sure that everybody is blocking you know at an equal pace and, and Iowa can handle that but it's just you got to realize that they're going to get through you sometimes and you got to be prepared for that and you got to make sure that you are on top of your game play calling wise that you don't slip into that old comfortable rut of first and 10 let's run the ball because that that's when you'll be second and nine or second and 11 so I think Iowa is capable of running against them it's just a matter of you you've got to make sure you're you're balanced and you've got to make sure that you, you you do it both ways run and pass when they least expect it. Otherwise, I mean, this is too good of a team to, to expect we're Iowa, we're going to run the football and, you know, we've got two good running backs because they will stop you and they'll stop you repeatedly. Iowa had a, a lot of success last week. And in fact, I thought it was a terrific game plan and play calling that Brian Ferentz had in place for that game. Mixed up, off tendency, but he also had them passing a lot on first down. That's the important part. And, and that's something I noticed going into the Minnesota game that I went through each and every first down call and what they did right what they did wrong I guess going into that game and really whenever they passed on first down they were successful it was because people didn't expect it and then you go back to that first drive against Minnesota their first two plays one was a three tight end set that they threw out of and another one I think was just a base formation they threw out of the first two plays Minnesota calls timeout that you know because it was 220 plus yard gains um, they're like wait a minute this is an Iowa I was supposed to run the inside zone or whatever. And I think, you know, that's what they saw last week, too. And that's what you have to do from now on is make sure that the other team doesn't kind of have a, a read on how you call the game. Brian Ferentz doesn't have a, a tendency yet. He doesn't have a real history. But I think, uh, you know, that'll be figured out over time. But, you know, I think to continue that is going to be important. And it's going to it's going to stress him and his father because the, the elements may come into play. It's going to be cold. It may be windy, too. And that's when you naturally think, okay, we got to run the ball. And if we have to punt, oh, well, you can't quite think that way. Now, you know, 
if you and so I think that's going to be that's going to be fighting against the the history you know maybe the biggest challenge of all for Brian Ferentz this week and it's kind of fun to think about after this break Scott talks the punch list for Iowa's defense and special teams plus some Big Ten and breaking free is Torn Young piling on now is Iowa as they crack the 50 mark against the mighty Buckeyes that was a statement there we're going to run it you know it. Doesn't matter. We're going to continue to run it. Ran it right down their throats for 50 yards of offense, all on the ground. That's all about want to, and Ohio State is laid down. Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low-slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You you can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319 848 4191 or toll free at 1 800 383 7663. Okay, we're back with Scott Doctorman. Now we're going to turn to the punch list for Iowa's defense against Wisconsin's offense. Again, when you look at the statistics, Wisconsin is tops in the Big Ten of rushing offense, nearly 245 yards a game. They're third in the Big Ten, 24th nationally in scoring offense, 36.1 points per game. And you've already referenced their true freshman running back, Jonathan Taylor, who uh, is averaging 152 yards on the ground per game. But he hasn't faced a run defense or an overall defense probably as good as the one Iowa will bring into Camp Randall Stadium on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, the only one that can kind of compares is maybe Northwestern, you know, and then they they did a good job against him and, uh, you know, against the Badgers as a whole. I mean, it was, uh, you know, Taylor had 80 yards and, you know, Northwestern's is probably as close as what you'll find. And, and so I think it's, you know, Iowa is capable of slowing him down and, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, in the running game, but, you know, this guy is special, this guy is unique. And, you know, there's automatically you start to think, okay, what Badger running back is he most like? And there isn't really one that, that fits that template because they've had really big ones, you know, like say Ron Dane, and John Clay, who were, you know, 6'2", 250 pounds and could really pound it. Or they had guys like Melvin Gordon or James White or, you know, Corey Clement. And he is unique because he is like, I I mean, honestly, I would put him like a Herschel Walker. I mean, because he's so big and thick and fast and elusive. He's just, I mean, he is complete, you know, more so than the other ones. And Melvin Gordon was a first rounder and ran for 2,500 yards. But he's, you know, this guy's got a little bit different skill set. So, you know, and he's only a freshman. So you're thinking, oh, boy, you're going to have to play this guy at least two more years before he goes to the draft. So so be ready. But no, I mean, with their running game and with that offensive line, now it's a veteran unit. They're really running the ball well. They do exactly what they do. You know, run power. Oh, you know, a lot of gap blocking and a lot of downhill type running. I mean, 
that just means that more pressure is going to be put on Iowa's defensive tackles than at any time this season because you know that they're going to start pulling guards and then they're going to start smacking people really hard and they got to make sure that the, the linebackers stay free when they play their two gap so whether it's uh you know matt nelson he's going to finally play against linemen is almost as big as him and uh you know nathan budgeta who's you know scrappy and a little bit small but you know you know and stout and then same thing with cedric Lattimore when he's in there you know he's, he's they're gonna have to face a big physical tough offensive line that matches their you know their team and then that kind of ability so if they can hold their gaps and allow the linebackers to do their job there's nothing to fear here but if they get pushed back and the linebackers get caught in the wash yeah i mean jonathan taylor can, can do some significant damage to iowa and and that's not even just counting point wise that's just saying you know flipping the field i mean there this is the type of game and, and this is the type of challenge where if they get the ball at the 25 and move it to midfield and punt that is that is almost worth points you know in the grand scheme of things and and that's something that i think both teams are aware of let's talk quarterback there for a second iowa has the better sophomore quarterback alex hornibrook also a sophomore at the bat for the Badgers. He's uh, completing 64.4% of his passes. He's thrown 15 touchdown passes, but he's also thrown nine picks. This is going to be interesting to see because you know one of the problems Wisconsin has right now is their two top wide receivers are out. I mean, uh, Quintez uh, Safis is, is out for this game, and, and Jazz Peavy has been out for a little while now. So you have that those two issues right there. Um, who's he going to throw it to on the outside? And I'm not so sure. There's you know Now they have a terrific tight end at Troy Fumagalli, one of the best ones in the country. And he's probably up there, you know, with Noah Fant, I would say, in effectiveness. But that, you know, that said, you know, when you're down the, the you know, some of the best players on your team and you have Iowa's kind of lockdown corners, especially Josh Jackson, but also, you know, Manny Rigamba's that good. You know, it makes you wonder. Now, you know, Hornerbrook is the classic Wisconsin quarterback, except for he's left-handed. You know, he's very efficient. He's accurate. He gets the ball out of his hands fast, but he, but he does make some mistakes. And and I think that's something that, uh, you know, Iowa can be ready for because Iowa certainly took advantage of JT Barrett. He only had one interception going into the game, and now he has five on the season. So, I mean, you know, Hornerbrook's thrown an interception at every single Big Ten game, except actually every single Big Ten game. So, I mean, you know, he, he only twice has he not thrown any. So, I mean, you know, as efficient as he is, he also makes mistakes, and Iowa could be there. If Iowa, you know, this is the type of game where if you're Iowa and you know their top receivers are out, you make sure you, you run a lot of man because you've got to be pretty confident in your guys and uh you know make and then you know throw everything at the running game and you you probably feel pretty good you're going to be able to hold them to a couple you know 17 points or less for sure yeah with uh without cephas and without pv the only other wide receiver who's had much of an impact all season long is aj taylor that's a pretty big drop off from cephas so watching that ohio state game really it kind of triggered a thought in my mind that i don't remember and i asked kirk about this Tuesday at the press conference. I don't remember an Iowa defensive line getting this many deflected and batted down passes as this defensive line is. Yeah, it's been, you know, I mean, we haven't seen a complete defensive line around here since maybe 2010 when they had, you know, Claiborne and Benz. Now, Benz was terrific at doing that. You know, he had 
you know, he wasn't real tall, but he had really long arms and he could really bat down some balls. And, but I mean, this is the tallest one they've ever had. I mean, you look at the guys that they have man for man, when you got Anthony Nelson at six, seven and Matt Nelson at six, eight and AJ Epinez at six, five and, you know, got, you know, even, but even like Budgeta has gotten in there and he's only, you know, six, two or so, but it, it's, it seems to me that, you know, they're, they're coached up to not only, okay, you know, put this rush on, but if you can't get there, their, their timing of when the ball is released has been really good as far as getting their hands up. And, uh, you know, and you, you can't, I mean, <laughs> you know, a knockdown like that is, is priceless. I mean, that's almost as good as a sack. So, you know, I, I think I've, this is probably as good as they've gotten. And gosh, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta be excited for the rest of this season, but looking ahead, you only lose one guy, <laughs> you know? So I think this is a, this is the type of unit that can really be dominant next year, you know, not just good, but dominant. So, and the way, you know, and one of the things with, with Hornerbrook is he does throw a little bit more sidearm as a left-hander and it's a natural sidearm anyway, but his is down a little low, almost Bernie Kozar like from the left side. So if Iowa can get their hands up, they might get four or five this, this weekend. The Hawkeyes have 20 sacks on the season, but you just talked about Anthony Nelson. He's the team leader by far with six of those and not just batting down passes. He's getting to the quarterback and Kirk used almost exactly the same language you did Tuesday when he responded to my question, which was it's almost as good as a sack, a deflected pass. And then of course the other two terrific stories on Iowa's defense are Josie Jewell, even though he missed a game, still leading the Big Ten by far, 92 total tackles, and he's first in the nation and 11.3 tackles per game. And then the emergence of Joshua Jackson, who's been really nothing short of almost spectacular. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, you, you going into this season, that was a huge question mark. I mean, they lost they lost two NFL corners, and they're still in there, and they're on rosters. You know, Desmond King and Greg Mabins now with the 49ers. So, you know, Manny Rugamba was, you know, looked pretty good as a nickelback last year and played really well late in the season. Then he got hurt, and Josh Jackson started the bowl game, and you thought, you know, okay, is Josh Jackson just a guy, or, you know, and somebody else will fill in for him? Maybe a Matt Hankins, you know, beats him out, or or can he play? And, and man, he's right there with all the others. I mean, you know, what's, what I find fascinating is, since uh, the end of the 2009 season, Iowa will have 10 first-team All-Big Ten selections at defensive back by then, and that includes Josh Jackson, because if he's not, then boycott the team. But, you know, and seven different players have, have, have picked up those honors. You know, Sean Prater, you know, twice, and you have B.J. Lowry, and, you know, and of course Desmond King twice, and Sean, and Tyler Sash twice, but, but you know, Micah Hyde, you know, who's leading the NFL in interceptions, and you got, uh, you know, Josh Jackson as well, and, and it's just, and you look at all of them, and Jackson fits the part. He's just as good as all of them, and he'll be, a, you know, he's probably got more of an upside than guys like, uh, you know, even Hyde and, and King at the next level, because he looks the part as a traditional cornerback, and, you know, the other guys are more like Swiss Army Knives, and more safety types, but, man, he has been just terrific, and and you know, Iowa is starting to hit its stride in all areas, but certainly on defense when, you know, really you need four talented all-star type players at four different positions. And that's, uh, you know, you want a pass rusher and Anthony Nelson's fit into that mold. You want a tackler and certainly Josie Jewell is that player. You want a, you know, a shutdown corner and you got him with Josh Jackson. And then you want kind of a, a run plugging guy, you know, a defensive tackle. And I don't know that they have, you know, an A plus there, but they've got some pretty good ones. So, I mean, right now at all those positions Iowa just looks really stout and and this year reminds me so much of 2008 where they really got good at the end of the year and it just really propelled
propelled them to you know a special season the following year. And once Amani Hooker got named the starter at safety, that just kind of solidified the entire defensive backfield. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, gosh, you know, you, you know, you hate to say you know more than the coaches, <laughs> but that's one of those where you just look at them and you go, uh, you know, why wasn't this guy playing? You know, earlier, you know, they they it's like, oh, they tried Jake Gervas and then they tried, you know, you know Miles Taylor, and I mean, they those guys had a lot of equity, but man, he's good, and he's going to be good for you know a couple of years. He's only a sophomore, a true sophomore. So I just I think uh, yeah, he's the you know even without that interception last week, he's just really proven to be you know the, the, a solidifier in in the secondary. Let's take a quick look at special teams. You continue to get a great season. First year as starter out of Miguel Racino's place kicking and the kickoffs have been such a big part of field position for the Hawkeyes this season. Punting remains a little inconsistent, and now you have an or Ryan Gersandi or Colton Rastetter. Seems like Rastetter is a designated rugby punter, but even given the punting inconsistencies that Iowa's had, they haven't had the punting problems the Badgers have had. They're last in the Big Ten. Yeah, that's uh, that is a plus for Iowa, and, and you wonder, you know, I mean, the rugby style punt which Kirk hated for so long, finally he's he's really tr- grown to embrace because most of the time you get it off, you get it off at, a, at an odd angle, and they're not really returnable and so you know rather than have somebody who can't kick it more than 30 plus yards in the air straight up have them kick it to the side you know it turns out to be quite an advantage for you um it yeah I don't, the, the, they've been kind of blessed over the last uh, several years at that position you know last year ron Kaluzzi was terrific you know the way like ryan donahue and eric guthrie punted a few years ago i guess more than a few years ago now i'm getting old but you know was was really good i thought dylan kidd was good a couple years ago and then you know this year it's a growth year and and i i think they'd be wise in my opinion to allow gersande to grow in that position he's he's a scholarship guy he's a true freshman he already pulled the, the red shirt go ahead and let him grow you know there's seen you know it's, it, one of the things <laughs> my former colleague and i mark morehouse used to talk about union cards and when iowa players get into the lineup it's sometimes it's hard to get them out you know and you know whether you have an amani hooker and a miles taylor or, and it seems to be this case at punter where you know there's just such a strength there with colton rastetter that it's hard to break and so well, i would i would go with gersande you know and and you know the, the, he's gonna be an interesting story this week anyway because you know he's from milwaukee you know he was gonna walk on at madison at at, at uh wisconsin i would knew it had to pony up a scholarship to get and they ultimately they pulled the trigger and and uh so it'll be you know it'll be intriguing to see if he uh can play and play well you know in a, at a stadium that he knows really well before we get your prediction let's uh, take a quick look at the big 10 some interesting results last week not the biggest center of course was Iowa over Ohio State but Michigan State uh, dealt Penn State a back-to-back loss Northwestern continues a little bit of roll and I think a third overtime game for Northwestern in a row and they've won all three of them and Nebraska is uh, not you know let's just call them inconsistent I guess uh, <laughs> this week besides Iowa Wisconsin which is important for the Big Ten because it's you know Iowa for all practical purposes and unless Wisconsin starts to get a little bit more uh, positive uh, feelings from some of the national folks, in the particular the playoff committee, the Big Ten may be out of the college football playoffs, but you certainly got an interesting game, Michigan State at Ohio State, and then kind of interesting, Nebraska at Minnesota. There's some interesting games for different reasons this weekend, and I I think it's important, and then these games are important across the board, because Iowa has, or Iowa, the Big Ten has a glut of teams that are are going to finish five and seven. 
seven across the board and not get into the at least naturally into the bowl system because uh, they're all going to finish five and seven without gaining some sort of upset at some point. And, uh, you know, so I look at like, say, Purdue at Northwestern, you know, Northwestern's the better team. But what if Purdue pulls one out of their hat, you know, then then all of a sudden, you know, because they're a, a four win team, you know, so do they uh, do they pull one out of their hat or do they, you know, go back, crawl back in it and be Purdue again? You know, uh, Maryland, you know, has, has played well at times this year and they play host to Michigan. Can they pull an upset? Because if they can, maybe they get to six wins. You know, Nebraska, Minnesota to me is, a, is an eliminator. You know, the loser doesn't even doesn't get to go. The winner's got it still got a crack, but they got a little work to do. Rutgers has played really well, but they're playing at Penn State. Same kind of deal. And then finally, Indiana hasn't won a game yet. Big Ten play, but they're playing uh, Illinois. And, uh, you know, so that should be a win for them. So I think underneath the, all those games matter for that. That said, now um, the, the marquee games for sure are Michigan State, Ohio State. That's for first place in the East. And if Michigan State wins that game, I think Michigan State's going to win the, the division. You know, you've got a, a team that's uh, right now, you know, that beat Penn State. And if it beats Ohio State head to head, it's already, you know, beaten Michigan head to head. You know, really, it just, you know, needs to finish it out. And, uh, but, you know, I think Ohio State's more talented. Uh, I want to be, I want to see how they actually come back. But, and then you look at Iowa, Wisconsin. And, and this is, uh, you know, Wisconsin's really the last crack for the Big Ten, last chance to get in the playoff. And they've been much maligned because of their record. But you look at the last three to four games that they're going to play Iowa, who is ranked 20th now by the college football playoff, Michigan, which if it wins, probably gets into the top 25. Uh, Minnesota, it's a rivalry game. It won't get them much points, but it's it's worth noting. And then finally, uh, playing you know pl- playing in the Big Ten championship game against a Michigan State, Ohio State, possibly Penn State. So they're going to be playing you know possibly three out of four teams that are ranked at the end of the year. It needs to get that win. You know I think it's but it, that's a rivalry game. There's nothing you could you know you can't predict those in some ways, and you know you're going what you're going to get. And this game is going to be physical, tough teams that really match the metal of their opponent and respect them immensely. So I'm I think this is a great weekend of Big Ten football, and I only I only regret that I get to watch one game. <laughs> well, let's go back to that one game. We'll both be in Madison, Iowa, trying to regain the Heartland Trophy. Do they get it back? Yeah, I think they do. And looking at the at all the possible angles, I think Wisconsin probably stops Iowa's running game. Now, the magic number is 100. You know, Iowa, I believe, is uh, 25 and 1 since 2015 if they run for 100 yards, and 0 and 9 or 0 and 10 if they don't. It's really uh, so that's kind of the line that you got to cross if Iowa can get to 100 yards, which means that they'll be somewhat balanced on offense. And uh, I like the way Nathan Stanley's throwing the football. I think he can complete passes. He's got a gun for an arm and a good feel. I look at Wisconsin. You know, they they match Iowa well in a lot of areas, but one area they don't is their passing attack. I mean, without those receivers and the way Iowa's secondary is playing, I just I I think that they're going to be too one dimensional. Which against Iowa, you're you're playing to Iowa's strength, and Iowa's built to stop teams like Wisconsin on the on the ground. It, look at what happened with Michigan State. Felton Davis in the air in the first quarter was the only reason why Iowa lost that game. So I like Iowa to win this game. I like them to go on the road, reclaim the Heartland Trophy. They're not going to win the West Division, but I think that they're going to win this game 20-13 to 13 and really show that they really are the best team in the West, despite what the record says. 
Where's your killer instinct, son? You gotta get angry. You gotta get mean. That's the only way you can play. Well, I guess I'm not really an angry person. Are you angry now? Here we go. Place about to explode. It's all Iowa. Nationally, this will be the story about how Ohio State was manhandled here today. Locally, this is a great story about the Hawkeyes. Truly a signature victory. Look at this place, Greece. It's unbelievable. It's, it's one of the greatest places to play in all of college football. College football at its finest. Final score. I will beat number six, Ohio State, 55-24. You heard me right, 55-24, Iowa. We are pleased to have former Hawkeyes punter and place kicker Ron Caluzzi joining Hawkeyes Mike as a regular contributor. You'll hear Ron's hang time features on both Reporters Notebook podcasts and quick hits in the coming weeks. And check out CaluzziKicking.com, and you can also follow Ron on Twitter at RonCaluzzi16. Ron, it seems like we've had more trick plays going on for the Iowa Hawkeyes just in the last few games than we have seen in entire seasons in the last few years. Let's talk today about trickeration. When you were with Iowa last year, how many plays would typically be in the playbook for special teams, trick plays to run for special teams? Coach Wallace, you know, he did a lot of, you know, special teams specifically for for punt and punt return. He helped out, but Coach Woods was the punt return coach, but, you know, they would kind of go back and forth and feed off each other for fakes and um, trickery, you know, schemes and stuff like that. But, you know, every week we practice some type of different fake punt you know whether it was a pass or me running the ball and you know every week they would say hey we're gonna do it this time we're gonna do it this game if we're in the plus 45 we're gonna run it or we're gonna throw it and I was always really excited because you know I've always wanted to do a fake punt or um, where I could run it or, or throw it to somebody and be more than just a punter right or a kicker and uh, it never happened you know I, I didn't get that opportunity and the one opportunity that did come about was against Michigan there was a, a high snap that was thrown to me and um, when I came down after jumping up to catch it I saw a couple players running after me and there's there was no way I was going to get the ball off so I decided to juke them out and take off and after I took two steps I tripped over my own feet because I got a little bit too excited and um, that opportunity finally came about where I could take off but I tripped and I got hit <laughs> but um, yeah we, we practiced fake punts fake field goals all the time they they were never called you know they were they were never really um talked about you know it was kind of like uh like uh under the breath thing like oh you know we're too conservative of a team to kind of do that thing but um this year's been a big change Let's talk a little bit about that fake field goal that they ran against Ohio State. There were lots of really interesting and pretty spectacular things that happened in that Ohio State game, but that fake field goal, which we learned after the game, is called the Polecat. And yeah. a new special teams coordinator, LeVar Woods, apparently found it somewhere out of some dusty old playbook or video or something. Mm-hmm. When they lined up for that, had you ever seen anything remotely like that? That was the wildest formation I think I've ever seen. Uh, 
uh, no, I've never seen anything like that at Central Michigan or Iowa. I think the closest thing I've seen to it might have been an ESPN top 10 reel that went off over and over again, you know, on Instagram or Facebook. And I might have thought to myself a couple of years ago, oh, that's neat, but no way will that ever work, you know, in a big, big game. And here I go running my mouth and then freaking Iowa does it against Ohio State on their biggest game this year and they pulled it off. <laughs> there are two interesting aspects to that also. First, and you and I texted back and forth earlier in the week kind of laughing about this, but if that isn't the only time in the history of college football, at least modern-day college football, where a long snapper caught a pass, it's got to be one of a very small handful. I've never seen it before. I didn't even know that Kluber was eligible to catch a football um, downfield. I mean, I know my brother is jealous, that's for that's for sure, and um, I'm jealous of Colton for being able to throw a pass or run a fake punt. I mean, my my only quote-unquote fake punt that wasn't even called a fake punt was me doing a somersault on national television. So I'm jealous that he, he got the opportunity to do that, and I'm glad it worked out for them because there's nothing better than seeing specialists pull off some, some trick play that makes everybody, you know, drop their jaw. And Kluver had a chance to go in for the touchdown, the same turf snake that bit you last year in that Michigan game where you did the header that you just referenced. Apparently bit him, too, because he took a dive right at the two-yard line. He could have easily gone in. Nobody was within six or seven yards of him. Yeah, some people call it a a turf snake. You know, I call it uh, a sniper. I think somebody was uh, taking some feet out when when I was running the ball and when Kluver was running running the ball. But I just think uh, they don't want specialists to succeed, you know, at at Kinnick Stadium. They they don't think we're we're good enough to get through the end zone or get to the end zone. So uh, they take our feet out and we end up falling. Let's go back. Back to that play one more time now. Rastetter was the holder again, and this that's the second pass he's got to throw out of fakes this year, and you've got to throw none. Yeah, yeah. We talked about it a little bit earlier. I just am very jealous of the fact that he's been able to throw two fake punts or a fake field goal uh, just because I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to be more than just a specialist, and seeing him do that last week was pretty cool and to pull it off too it's it's one thing to say hey we're gonna do it in practice and then he does it in practice just like I did and it succeeded but to pull it off in a game it's it's a lot you know it takes a lot of confidence it takes a lot of discipline to not freak out and and just because you know if you think about it for punters and kickers we practice over and over and over again one thing and that's kick a ball through the uprights or kick a ball out of the end zone on kickoffs or punt a ball downfield going to the right numbers the left numbers and we never really practice you know uh, full speed throwing or full speed running the ball or full speed taking on a tackle you know that that's very you know it's not common and for him to go on a national stage like that and and to do it twice it's it's pretty cool you know it's I'm jealous it's very cool now that was the positive thing that Rastetter did last week the negative was apparently taking it on his own to try to run a fake punt from deep in Iowa's own territory there towards the end of the game and it immediately led to Ohio State's last score uh, which I don't think the defense was too excited about but and uh, he had a, a kind 
conversation that I don't think he wanted to have right after that with the head coach, Kirk Ferentz, on the sideline. And Kirk didn't look very happy about it. But I think in, a, in one of our first conversations in hang time, we talked about who calls a fake punt typically. And I think you indicated it's, it, it's your personal protector who's supposed to call a fake punt. Yeah, the, the fake punt call comes from the coach on the sideline, whoever the punting coach is, you know, that would be Coach Wallace in Iowa's circumstance. And then he would ask Coach Ferentz, hey, can we run the fake punt that we worked on during practice this week? And then if he were to give the okay, then Coach Wallace would get everybody on the sidelines and he would say, all right, hey, we're running it. And I never got that green light, but that's how it's supposed to go. And then we're, when we're on the field, whoever the PP is, the personal protection, Actor, uh, they're looking at the defensive scheme and they're gonna and it's normally Drake Kulik and he's gonna call one of two things uh, green or, or red call and if he he calls the green light then obviously we're running it and we're going but if he says no you know punt it away then that's what they're supposed to do I don't know the actual play that was called whether it was originally called a fake punt and then Drake called it off or if there was no fake punt called at all and Colton took off on his own I I don't know those little circumstances just because you know I'm not playing there anymore and I haven't asked my brother but what I do know is that coach Ferentz was not happy and I don't think Colton was supposed to take off running he might have felt spooked because he had a rush coming on and he you know thought he couldn't get got the punt off and he decided to take off but one thing I do know is if you uh, do something like that it, it kind of takes away the trust from not only your coaches but your, your teammates and when you lose that lack of trust um, it makes it makes playing very hard it makes being around them very difficult the one thing you want to rely on is, is your teammates when times get tough and uh, when you're going off on your own that that kind of makes things a little hairy a little difficult to to come back from but you know Colton's a great punter he's a great player he might have just you know felt like hey I need to take off because he thought the ball was going to get blocked or um, what have you you know that that's that comes from just being on the field and knowing who's coming coming at you and how much time you got like for me when I played Michigan last year and that punt that I did the somersault on that was not a fake punt that was not called the fake punt on the sidelines that was that just came from you know 16 years of experience I caught the ball it was a high snap and I saw four people coming at me and I did not think I had enough time to to get it off so I decided to take off and um, I ended up doing a somersault and luckily our defense hold them or held them to three Three points but the point is you know I took off on my own will and so did Colton sometimes that that's for the better and sometimes that's for the worst but you know I think he had time to get the punt off and he didn't make the right decision but that just makes him human you know he didn't I don't think he was trying to steal the spotlight or anything like that he was trying to do uh, what's best for the team and that's what really matters of course by that time they were up whatever it was um, 30 some points Kirk indicated in the postgame press conference that a he didn't call the play b it's not in the playbook and c it will never be run again <laughs> so <laughs> what just you've never had that happen and uh, at either Western Michigan or Iowa but what would that I'm, I'm assuming that was a pretty one-sided 
conversation on the sidelines between Kirk and Colton. What what kind of what would Kirk be saying to him? I don't really know. You know, probably, hey, you know, what did you see? Why did you take off? Make sure you know you just stick to you know what you do best, and that's getting the punt off. Um, if if anything, that's that's what that was that's what was probably said. Maybe a little bit more um, colorful. You know, yeah, a little more colorful, a little bit more uh, angry of a voice and violence to it. But you know that's that's football. You got to be willing to take constructive criticism. <laughs> Just one more quick question this week. The uh, depth chart for the Wisconsin game shows now an or between Gersandi and Rastetter. And Kirk said at the Tuesday press conference that it's just going to be a feel thing, not to mention what appeared to be the case that Rastetter was going in mostly to do rugby style punts. But if it really is an or now, what does that do to either one of those kids' psyches? Is that more difficult to prepare, not knowing whether, you know, who's going to go in for a punt at any particular time? I think you always got to be on your toes whether or not you know you're playing. You know, when I played at Central Michigan my junior year, my redshirt junior year, I went in the second week we played Purdue and I was starting field goal kicker, starting punter, and the starting kickoff guy. And the second play of, you know, my, or the first play of the game for me was a punt. And I hit a punt 50 yards downfield and I was jogging down and all of a sudden the ball carried came out of nowhere and I got clocked and I got knocked out physically blacked out and don't remember anything that happened the next 45 minutes but what I do remember is not being able to play for the rest of the game and the backup had to go in um, for punt kickoff field goal and that following week you know they stuck with the field goal kicker that that went in behind me because he did well you know he had a better groove with the new holder that came in because he broke his collarbone my holder broke his collarbone so the backup holder went in with the backup field goal kicker and they kind of just clicked what I'm trying to say is you you never really know when your opportunity is going to come but one thing that you do uh, need to do is be ready for it and capitalize when that that moment comes because you might not get another shot so you know this year Colton and Ryan have been going back and forth with playing time but if it were me and I was playing at Kinnick Stadium or I was playing at Wisconsin this week in Madison, you know, you bet your ass that I'd be doing everything I could in practice, everything I could at home to prepare myself mentally and physically to be the best punter in that stadium so I could be the the punter next week and the following week and um, the next three years or two years that I have of eligibility because there's nothing else. There's nothing better than than being able to to say, yeah, I'm the starting punter at the University of Iowa. You know, this year has been a little bit inconsistent with these two. And I think, in my opinion, it's it's time to it's time to step up. One of them needs to claim the spot and, you know, build some confidence and start start hitting some punts. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Trickeration here from Kirk Ferentz. A lot of character from the 20 on fourth down. And the pass is caught. Colin Rastetler threw the ball down to the goal line. The trickeration. And that was his snapper, Tyler Kluver, on the receiving end. That ball hung up forever. Wow. This is not the M.O. for Kirk Ferentz. He is by the book. Doesn't like a whole lot of trickery. But give him credit. At the right time against the right team, they convert. (laughs) 
Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our thanks again to ESPN for the game highlights this week. Thanks, as always, to Scott Docterman, and thanks to Ron Caluzzi. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 11 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.